You're listening to the Banner Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us online at thebannerchurch.com. That was a long cheer. I'm here for it though, guys. All the way up this morning. Um, How are you guys doing this week? How are you this morning? That's what I like to hear. Lots of good stuff. Um, I don't know about you guys, but this was an insanely busy week for me. And in fact, I actually know some of the people I know, this has been a crazy week for you guys as well. Tons of stuff going on, just this, that, and the other, all these things popping up. And, uh, you know, anytime I am speaking, I feel like that week is just like, shortened because I spend so much time working on the message and preaching um, that just like everything else kind of like it's like oh yeah I'll get to it when I get to it Um, but this week also I have been training to become a cycle bar (laughs) instructor which if you don't know takes a lot of time and a lot of effort and uh, so I have been on a mic a lot this week like the cool Britney Spears looking one you know with the little poof ball on the end Um, and so if in the middle of my message, like, I'm getting excited and ramped up, and I'm like, I want to see your best gear, best speed right now. Don't worry. It's okay. It's just the wires are getting a little crossed in my brain, and I'm getting a little confused on where I'm at. Uh, Legitimately, on the bike, it is so hard for me, like, to not say, like, I'm so glad that you guys are here this morning joining us at Banner Church. Like, there are just some things in your brain that are hardwired, you know what I mean? And so you get in that moment where you're like, I can hear my voice through a speaker. I must be at church right now. And so, like, just those things come out. So, like I said, if if those get a little uh, crossed, don't worry. I'm just excited. Just excited. Um, you guys, I'm super pumped to be speaking in our Everyday Evangelism series. How have you guys been liking this series thus far? So good. So, so good. I love the messages from the last two weeks talking about uh, our eternal glory and talking about the fear of man over, or excuse me, the fear of God over the fear of man. And so if you guys missed those messages, I really encourage you, go back and listen to them. They're so incredibly powerful and insightful. And so I, I just really encourage you to go and listen to that. Uh, The first week that Pastor Josh really began this series, he talked about this word evangelism. I don't know about you, but like when I hear the word evangelism as like a Bible-believing Christian who loves Jesus with all of my heart, like it feels a little scratchy. Like kind of like putting on a sweater that like you're like, I love the way the sweater looks, but it's real scratchy and it's going to bother me later. I might even have like a little bit of a rash from it later. You know that word? Sometimes it just makes you feel a little bit like that. And I think it's because like that word evangelism is so meaningful. It's so powerful, but it has kind of collected all of these different thoughts and ideas from different peoples and different cultures, different generations. When I uh, hear the word evangelism, I grew up in Western Washington, uh, where the church is not really, I don't want to say it's not a big deal, but it's like when you're a part of a church, it's not like everyone goes to church just because church is there. You know what I mean? Uh, In the Bible Belt, like people will attend things just because it's like 
the church is doing it, and so we're in the Bible Belt, so we're going to go to it. <laughs> and in, in Western Washington, that was not really the culture that I grew up in. And so um, when I moved to Arizona uh, and I started working for the district office of the denomination that we belong to, um, these are people who had been a part of the Assemblies of God for a very long time. Uh, they've been a part of church a really long time, and a lot of them were actually from different places, m even more in the Bible Belt than really kind of we are here in Arizona. But they would talk about these things like tent revivals and tent meetings. And uh, I just was like, what on earth is that? Like, I, I never experienced that. Like, I know who Billy Graham is, but the idea of meeting in a giant tent with a whole lot of people with no air conditioning and it really, really being hot is just like the worst thought to me. Like, uh, tent revivals and tent meetings. But that's kind of like what I've come to, like, start learning about as it pertains to evangelism. Um, you know, when I was... Uh, uh, at my last church, one of our pastors, this, she had this story, uh, part of her salvation story, and she would talk about how when she was a kid, um, she would get picked up by a bus that would just come to the neighborhood, and it would pick her up, and it would take her to church by herself, not, not with her parents or anyone, just, you know, the bus comes along, it's like, yep, we're going to take your kids, we're going to take them to church, and they just go. Uh, just the thought just like boggles my mind right now, right? Because like the culture and the society that we live in right now, that just sounds absolutely bananas. I would legit never put my child on an unknown bus with an unknown person traveling to an unknown location for an unknown and undisclosed period of time. Especially back then. You're talking about the church could be two hours long. It could be five hours long. I don't know. Like, will you be home for dinner? Will I put you to bed? Not sure. Like, it's just such a crazy thought to me. And so this was about, you know, 30 plus, uh, well, maybe more like 40 years ago that this is happening. And so if I think about really like where we are in culture and how much society has changed, like that is not the temperature of our culture towards Christianity today. But isn't it so crazy, as Pastor Josh was opening this series and he was kind of talking about what Peter is addressing, the society and the culture that they're in, even though what I'm talking about 40 years ago with this bus that seems really recent. 2,000 years ago, culture was actually pretty similar to what it is right now. And that's what he's addressing, is this similar culture that they're in. He's writing to Jews in Asia Minor who have been spread out through the diaspora, recent followers and converts to Christianity. And in this culture, they're under Roman rule. They're under Roman authority. They're not in power culturally. They're not the loudest voice. They're not determining and setting the standards for what culture and morals are. And so as they choose to follow this new life in Christ, everyone around them begins to ridicule them and mock them and slander them. It's because they just don't understand. They don't understand this complete change that has happened in the lives of these people. In that culture, it was common and acceptable to be uh, free with your sexuality, to, uh, you know, do all sorts of things. And so choosing not to, choosing not to live in that way was confusing, and it, it caused them to uh, slander and mock and ridicule these new converts to Christianity. 
And like I said, that was 2,000 years ago, but how much of that kind of attitude is so similar in what we're facing today culturally in our society. So last week we talked about the fear of God over the fear of man, how it pertains to our everyday kind of evangelism. And the question today is, as exiles, as people who do not live the same as the world wants to live, how do we practice everyday evangelism in our lives? How do we live as exiles who are showing the hope and the freedom and the power of Jesus Christ? If you're taking notes this morning, I think Peter gives some really incredible instruction to the Jewish people that pertains to our lives today. So if you are taking notes, first point, honor everyone. Honor everyone. 1 Peter 2, 13 through 17 says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. If you've attended uh, Discover in the past, or you've heard us talk about our core values, then you know that one of our core values is honor. And honor is kind of one of those funny things, because it's like, you could put honor in there, it's like, yeah, it's, you know, that seems easy, honor. You honor everyone. But we say we honor up, down, and all around. We don't just honor people who are above us in authority. We honor our peers, and we honor those who are lesser, who have a, a lesser role, a lesser position. You know what I'm saying? I'm not saying people are lesser, sorry. <laughs> That's what I mean. We don't let what society tells us about people be the restrictions for our honor of them. Honor is really easy when people are honorable. <laughs> It's really hard when people are not. And that's why honor is a core value. It doesn't really mean anything if you just honor people when they deserve it. But the choice to honor is to honor people when they do not deserve it. Peter was writing to people in exile. People who didn't, again, they were not the leading rulers of their society. They were not the dictators of their culture. They were not in power. They were subject to the Roman Empire. They were subject to the emperor. They were living under Roman rule. But Peter tells them, we have to honor everyone. He even goes as far as to say, honor the emperor. Honor the person you didn't vote for. Honor the person you probably don't like. Honor them. But it's not natural for us. And I think that's why he addresses it. It's not natural. When we get pushed, our first inclination is to push back probably harder than we were pushed. It's not natural for us. But I love Peter. And I'm going to read a good chunk of scripture, but I... It's one in continuous thought, and I want you to hear it as he is thinking it. So he goes further than that. 1 Peter 2, 18 through 25 says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. 
For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing, what, or for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and endure it, this is commendable before God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So first he, he draws us to the whole body. He writes to all of the exiles living in Asia Minor. Then he draws his attention to the servants, people on the lowest rung, not just people who are exiled. And it's like, yeah, you might have some status, but people who are both exiles and have no status. And he continues 1 Peter 3, 1, 6. He says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by subjecting to their own, by, excuse me, by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. He speaks to servants, then he speaks to women, wives, people who were seen more as property of their husbands than as individuals. They did not have that same status. They didn't have equality with men. So why? Why does he highlight these two very specific groups? Well, if we think about the general of the whole, think about a man who has some status, who has some power, some authority. If that person, you tell them to honor, you tell them to be kind, they're seen as benevolent. Even, even when you're doing it for the Lord and you're choosing to honor those up and down and all around, you're seen as benevolent. But what do these people get from honoring? They're at the very lowest rung, but God calls them to honor. It's because when we choose to honor, when we use our freedom, the freedom that Christ has given us, he says that we have an identity in him and that we are free as sons and daughters of God. But when we use that freedom, rather than to reject what the world has said, but we use it to honor each and every person, we reflect Jesus Christ in every one of our relationships. Peter is saying something to every one of us through these two examples, that it does not matter your circumstances. It does not matter who you are. God has called you to honor everyone. It also put, it increases or it encounters this internal perspective that when these people, when they're choosing to honor God, in that moment, it says that he is an unjust master. If you are beaten or treated unjustly, you're still supposed to honor. Man, that is a really hard thing to accept, right? 
Like, if that's you and me and he's speaking to me, that is a hard thing to accept. It's a hard thing to understand. But when we have the eternal perspective that God loves that person and he desperately wants every single person to know his freedom and to know his love. So when the slave, when the wife honors their husband, honors their master, they reflect Jesus Christ. They reflect that eternal perspective. And at the end of the day, it shows that their trust is not in man, but their trust is in God. I think sometimes with evangelism, we have these feelings like, it's a huge weight on our shoulders that we're all called to evangelism. But if we think about it from the perspective of God and his instruction in the Bible, we're told to live as Jesus lived, that as Christ transforms our heart, as Christ transforms our mind, that he uses us to reach people. I don't have to know the most charismatic thing to say. I don't have to, you know, have it all formulized and planned out. God is going to use me when I am obedient to what he calls me to do. I don't save people. Jesus does. And so these women, these servants, they are honoring others because it is what God has called them to do. And God wants to use their obedience to bring others to him. It's that kind of easy, difficult answer. Like, you know how uh, someone, when they lose a lot of weight, and people will be like, what did you do? What's your secret? I'll be like, I ate better and I worked out. <laughs> no. No, no. Tell me your secret. Like, what did you do? What was it? It's like, no, I just, I literally did these two things. I ate well and I exercised. This is that same kind of idea. It is a really difficult thing we have to wrestle with it, but it is the easy answer. How do we lay the foundation for evangelization to our world? We honor them when they don't deserve it. That's the difficult part. It's easy to honor those who deserve honor, but it is hard to honor those in the moment that do not deserve it. Whether you feel like the majority or not, God is calling you in every area of your life with a boss that you don't like, with a spouse that is difficult, with your parents who maybe judge you harshly, don't understand your choices. You honor every single person. But I think if we're honest, <laughs> those same kind of words that come to mind with evangelism, like I was talking about at the beginning, how sometimes it feels a little scratchy. There's a lot of things that people think of when they think of evangelism. Um, I was thinking about it this week as I was writing my message, and something came to my mind that I feel like is a really good example. Uh, is bumper stickers. Bumper stickers. I have a few bumper stickers for you guys that I would like to share. Come with evangelism. Try Jesus. If you don't like him, Satan will always take you back. It's a great message right there. This fish won't fry. Will you? To me, this one is so confusing if you don't understand Christianity. And so it's like, I'm not sure what the message is there, but yeah, it's confusing. Try Jesus, not me, because I throw hands. I can literally picture the person that has this bumper sticker on their car. And you know, the, when you see it at first, you're like, oh yeah, they're just feisty. They're just sassy and fun. <coughs> And I mean, I get myself into trouble with that a lot. Um, but this is not the message of Jesus. Try Jesus, not me, because I throw hands. <sighs> Don't blame me. 
I voted for the Christian. Dude, come on. Bumper stickers. This is where we come into conflict with evangelism. And I would say that this does not speak for the majority of Christians, but it just takes a couple, right? Throwing these on their cars to really speak something. This is the deal. We have to honor everyone. And then secondly, when the door is then open for the gospel, we have to present that gospel with gentleness and respect. 1 Peter 3, 13 through 16 says, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. This kind of evangelism is prepared by having that eternal hope, that eternal hope of the glory of God, and by not fearing man, but fearing God, so that we actually exude the hope that people want to know about. That opens the door for the gospel to be shared. And then when that door opens, we have to choose our words carefully and intentionally to share it with gentleness and with respect. Those bumper stickers do not exude any amount of gentleness or any amount of respect. To be honest, I don't understand why people use bumper stickers at all, if I'm being just side note right here. All it takes is one time me forgetting to put my blinker on to move over, and you have all made a character decision about me, that I am like a lazy person, that I'm thoughtless or whatever. Bumper stickers, man, I don't understand that. But this is that kind of evangelism where it is not gentle. It is not respectful. It says that it's black and white. I'm going to beat you over the head with what my opinion is. And some of them are opinions. And I'm not going to lead you through Christ with gentleness and respect. Bumper sticker Christianity. It doesn't work on your car. Certainly does not work in your mouth. When you're speaking with people, you need to think about the words that you say. We need to be, in, excuse me, intentional with the words that we choose to be honoring, to be respectful, to be gentle. You know where else this kind of evangelism won't work? In your social media. Man, I feel like every time I preach, I'm like, man, social media it is both an incredible tool of the gospel. I see some amazing things on social media that people are sharing the love, the life, the hope of Jesus Christ. But I feel like the majority of what I see, and you know, honestly, it doesn't even have to be a majority. A little bit goes a long way. A little bit of vile talk, a little bit of anger, a little bit of disdain goes a long way with people. All it takes is you posting one thing. You share one article where you haven't even fully read it all the way, but the, the headline just really points that, you know, that point home that you have. The problem is you're not going to see 
most of the people who read that article. You don't get to explain to them your heart behind why you feel that way. All they see is that vitriol. All they see is that just anger or bitterness or judgment spewing from you. Social media is one of those areas that we have to be so, so careful. We have to be so intentional with the things that we say. Choose our words wisely and make sure that they put forth gentleness and respect towards all people. Because when we don't, we devalue the gospel that we're trying to get to them. All this other stuff that maybe doesn't matter, it's getting in the way. It's the hindrance of the truth of the gospel. If we're constantly talking about our rights or constantly talking about what we think our government should do or whatever, we get in the way of the truth of the gospel that we're trying to portray to people, that there is life, love, hope, and freedom for them. But when we choose to present things with respect and with gentleness, it validates the gospel. It doesn't disagree. It validates the gospel that we want to share. This is the, the win for the believing wife whose husband does not know Jesus Christ. He's talking about a man who has heard the gospel, so it's not that she's trying to explain it to him without actually telling him what it is. It's that they have both heard the gospel. He has chosen not to follow it, and the woman has chosen to. So by choosing to honor and respect him, she puts forth the truth and the hope of the gospel to him. She is a living testimony of what Jesus preaches. He may not know a single other Christian, this, this man that Peter is referring to. I mean, he's talking to wives as a whole in this uh, society, right? They may not know any other Christians. This is pretty soon after the gospel is really spread out to the whole rest of the world. Their one example is their wife. Do you think that if she speaks dishonorably, if she is constantly nagging him and beating him over the head with what she believes, that he's going to go, yeah, this is a great thing. This is what I should believe. No. But when she chooses to honor him, which is what God has called her to do, she validates the very gospel that she so desperately wants her husband to hear and to know. She is paving the way for Jesus to do a work in his life. And you know what? Sometimes sharing the gospel with gentleness and respect is knowing when to be silent for the sake of it. I heard this really, really powerful, incredible story from a missionary who is actually in this area of the world. And he talks about um, he had started meeting up with some professors from one of the local schools, and each one of them followed a different religion. And they decided, okay, we'll get together every week and we'll talk about our religions. We'll actually, we'll talk about specific topics so that we can really see all the different sides. So, you know, one week they'll talk about judgment. Uh, one week they'll talk about the afterlife or the apocalypse or whatever topic. And he's like, but you know what? We always would end up getting off of topic. And uh, one week they started talking about 9-11. And these men were so adamant to tell him that 9-11 was a conspiracy, that it was completely orchestrated by our government, 
by the president and by Jewish people living in America that wanted us to see uh, Muslims as just evil. They were 100% convinced of that. So convinced that they showed him videos, just, you know, validating everything that they were saying. And he said, it was so hard. It was so hard in that moment to listen to these people saying things that he knew flat out were not true. But in that moment, he had to choose Am I coming here to represent America, or am I coming here to represent Jesus? I want you to imagine being in this man's uh, point of view. Just imagine sitting in that seat. It would be so hard to not want to come to the defense of your people, the place that you saw be attacked. It would be so hard, but he's saying, I knew what the right answer was. I knew that in that moment I had to stay silent because if I stood up in that moment and argued my point for America, I would completely lose them in the argument for Jesus Christ. He knew he had to stay silent for the sake of the gospel. Now, don't hear me say that we can never stand for what is true that we can't stand for the things that the Bible speaks of, that when uh, the world comes against us and speaks evil, that we aren't supposed to speak truth, but we have to know and be intentional with the words that we choose. We have to let the Holy Spirit speak to us so that we know in the moment if what we're doing, is it, is it defending myself? Is it because I want to make sure that I'm uh, canceling out this dishonor to me? Or am I standing up for the honor and the truth of Jesus Christ? Doesn't justify anything that they said. It doesn't justify their actions. But it is a choice to choose Jesus in that moment. To lay down our pride. To lay down our rights. Jesus calls us to that. He says, pick up your cross daily and come follow me that we're supposed to deny ourselves and pick up the cross. We're supposed to pick up the gospel. So in our everyday evangelism, God calls us to honor all people. That is the foundation. We have to honor every single person up, down, and all around. We have to present the gospel with gentleness and respect. So now the question for you and I is, okay, how? (laughs) How do we do that? I think we've talked a lot about what disrespect and what dishonor looks like when we do it in the negative. But what does it look like to actually pursue those things? Not reactionary, but actively. How do we actively pursue peace and honor? First of all, we have to overcome evil with good. We have to overcome evil with good. Romans 12, man, it's such a powerful chapter of Scripture. And I love verses 14 through 21. It's headlined, it says, Markings of a True Believer. Normally we read from the ESV, but I'm going to share this with you guys from the message. It says, Bless your enemies. No cursing under your breath. Laugh with your happy friends when they're happy. Share tears when they're down. Get along with each other. Don't be stuck up. Make friends with nobodies. Don't be the great somebody. Don't hit back. Discover beauty in everyone. 
If you've got it in you, get along with everybody. Don't insist on getting even. That's not for you to do. I'll do the judging, says God. I'll take care of it. Our scriptures tell us that if you see your enemy hungry, go buy that person lunch. Or if he's thirsty, get him a drink. Your generosity will surprise him with goodness. Don't let evil get the best of you. Get the best of evil by doing good. This whole portion, there's so many instructional things in there. He's just boom, 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 listening it out. But I love how he starts it. He says, bless your enemies. Bless your enemies. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're like, I don't have any enemies. Like, I'm pretty well liked by everybody. Well, this is great for you because this means if you are supposed to bless your enemies, and I'm pretty sure you're supposed to bless those who love you, you bless everyone in between. This is a whole spectrum of people. This excludes nobody. If you're supposed to bless your enemies, this means every single person in your life, you are to seek to bless them. You know, it's the same way that we pick our battles, the things that we say on social media. If our, you know, someone we know comes up and says something that we disagree with and we're like so quick to be like, I'm just going to tell this person what you get on this like Facebook fight with them. How much more powerful would it be if in every scenario of that person's life we were seeking to interact with them? Not just in the moments that we disagreed with them and hopefully we wouldn't respond that way, but what if we actually rejoice with them when they're rejoicing? When they get a new job, when they get engaged, when they get married, when good things happen to them, we rejoice with them. Or if when bad things happen, rather than in our minds shaking our heads and thinking, well, this is because you did this, this, and the other, what if we actually cried with them? What if we shared their pain? What if we shared with them in their suffering? It's a relationship. Everything is birthed out of that relationship. It's not just about proving your point when you want to prove your point, but it's showing them day in and out, day in and day out, showing up in every moment to show them that you are with them, that you love them, that they have value, and that they have purpose in their lives. It's about overcoming evil with good by actively pursuing good. There are people just like us. We have to learn to see people as we want to be seen. When you are weary, when you are rejoicing, don't you want people to rejoice with you? You want someone to be that shoulder for you to cry on. We need to be that for every single person. We need to be that for those that we have relationship with in our life. And it comes back to you again because it's not my job. I don't save anyone. You don't save anyone. Jesus Christ saves them. But he gets to, we get to be used. Do you guys ever just feel the immense joy of that? That like, all we have to do is live how God has called us to live, which I know is not a short order. God has called us to some amazing, incredible things. But when we are obedient, when we find joy in following what Jesus has called us to, he uses us to bring freedom and hope and new life to people by sharing Jesus Christ with them. That's how we overcome evil with good. We present Jesus to them. We present Jesus to them. Ben, if you want to go ahead and come up. So first, we overcome evil with good. 
And secondly, I think that this is one of the most important things that you and I as believers can do, is we can pray for them. We can pray for them. Matthew 5, 43 through 47 says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Praying for others. Again, it's like that easy, difficult answer. It's really easy to pray for people that you love. When your friend texts you and says, hey, man, I'm having a really hard day. You're like, boom, praying for you right now. But it is difficult to pray for blessing. And it is difficult to pray for good for those who are unjust to us. But this is what Jesus has called us to. This is the life that he has called us to. This is how we look different from the rest of the world. Rather than repaying evil for evil or revile for revile, we repay them by praying for them, that God would rescue them, that he would redeem them. I used to know this person, and honestly, they're the, one of my favorite stories to tell when I think about the transforming power of Jesus Christ. His name is Dan Carpenter. And I've known Dan Carpenter for a really long time. And uh, when I first met him, he was the guy who would come in super duper late to church. He'd drive in his little Volkswagen Golf, speeding as he went into the parking lot, pretty much as fast as you could possibly go around a corner. <laughs> and he would pull in, he'd get out, smoke his cigarette, smash it into the pavement in our driveway. And he'd come into church well after worship was already over. And he would just come just to listen to the message. And he came there not because he really had this relationship with Jesus, but because his fiance wanted them to love the Lord, wanted them to have this relationship with Jesus. It was the craziest thing because he would come to church late and then every other week he would come and meet with the pastor of our church. And you know, I wasn't in those meetings, but I knew what they were about. There's a lot of Dan coming against the pastor to question things in the Bible, question things, and not in a respectful way. Mind you, it's okay to question things, but it was like he would come and sarcastically make fun of things that we had preached about, or he would like make fun of the church or make fun of people. He has a very dry sense of humor, and his sarcasm was very poignant. And I just remember thinking like week after week, my pastor's meeting with this guy. And week after week, he's praying for him, that God would do something in his life, that he would rescue him and redeem him, and that rather than being an enemy of the church, that he would be a person who loved God more than anything else. <laughs> it is crazy if you meet Dan now, you would never know that he was ever like that. He's the most gentle, kind person. And it took God taking him to rock bottom because of his own actions. But he realized and he met Jesus in that moment. He met a God who loved him no matter what. 
He met a God who honored him and respected him and valued him. It changed his whole world. It changed his whole life. This man no longer comes against the church. In fact, he is a leader in the church. He is a leader of Celebrate Recovery, and he helps other people in this same circumstance understand the love, the hope, the respect, the gentleness, and the honor of Jesus Christ. It brings me to tears to think about him because it's just the transformation of what God did in his life is so incredibly powerful. And you know what I come back to? I come back to the pastor who prayed for him who did not give up on him, but constantly believed that God was gonna change and transform his life, that he was going to be able to experience the freedom and power of a new life in Jesus Christ. Guys, that's why we pray. It's not just for well-wishing, it's because God does miracles in people's lives. Prayer changes things and prayer is powerful. We need to pray for our enemies. And pray for those that maybe do not love us the way we want to be loved. I think about Jesus on the cross. Some of the most powerful words near the end of his life. Before he was crucified, he says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. You know, sometimes we read those words and it's easy to let them, yeah, we've heard them many times. Just imagine that space that Jesus was in, up on the cross, taking our sin and our shame. And rather than being angry and rather than being frustrated and rather than wanting to yell and scream, he prays to his Father in heaven, knowing that he is the just judge, knowing that he loves his children. And he says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. Would you stand with me this morning? This is what it all comes down to. If honor is the foundation of the gospel, how we're able to present it with gentleness and with respect, the love of Jesus is the land that that house is built on. Unless we have the love of the Father in us, unless we are able to see people as Jesus sees them, we will never be able to honor them as they are meant to be honored, and we will never be able to present the gospel because it will not come from the right place. We need to have the love of the Father that sees people as he sees them, whose heart breaks for the broken, whose heart breaks for the lost. That's what we need this morning. Would you close your eyes and bow your heads with me? You know, I know that there are perhaps some of us in here who have never really experienced this kind of love. The love that says that you are valued, the love that says that you are honored and treasured and cherished. And perhaps the image of Christ that we have seen through others has not been of love. It has not been of honor, but it has been of dishonor and disrespect. Hear this morning that Jesus loves you. He loves you more than you can possibly imagine. The Father God sent Jesus to die on the cross for you so that you would be able to have right relationship with him. That is how valuable you are to him. 
So this morning, if you're here and you'd say, man, I want that. I want the love of the Father. I want to know that I am cherished and valuable. I want to tell you Jesus is right here this morning for you. He says, turn to me. He says, if you're weary, find rest in me. Find your value in me. So this morning, if you'd say, well, and you want to give it all to Jesus, all the hurt and all the pain, and two, you want to find the joy and the life that he promises, then three, I invite you, raise your hand right now in this place. You can raise it up and lower it. If you're watching online with us, I still encourage you, if you're making that choice, lift your hands up. God sees you. The word says your father in heaven knows you and he sees you. Thank you, Jesus, for what you are doing in the hearts and the minds of your people this morning. Lord, I pray over every single person in this place, God, but I pray specifically for those who have chosen to follow you today, Jesus. I pray that your value would be planted in their hearts. God, I pray even right now you would be showing them that they are a daughter and a son of the Most High King that they are valuable and loved and worthy of your love, Lord God. Thank you, Jesus, for what you are doing. And secondly, maybe you've heard these words and you're like, man, God, I, I want to love people like you love them. I want to have a heart that sees the broken. It's hard sometimes, our human nature gets the better of us and we can get caught up in these frustrating things where we say things that we don't really mean and we say things that Christ would not call us to say. But God is saying right now, he wants you to know the love of the Father. He wants you to know it for all of his children, that all, he says he is not slow in his judgment, but that he is patient, wanting every single person to come to the realization and the hope of Jesus Christ. So this morning, if you want to have that heart that the Father has, this morning, if you want to see people as Jesus sees them, if you want your heart to be broken for what breaks his, then I want to invite you. We are going to worship God. And this altar is open for you to seek Jesus, to seek the strength that we need from him, to love when it is difficult, to honor when it is difficult. God is with you, he is for you, and he says you will never have to walk this alone. That in those moments when you feel beaten down, he says, I am your strength. So this morning, if you'd say, I want the heart to see people like Jesus sees them, and I want my heart to break for what breaks the Father, which is the lost people of this world, then I invite you this morning, come and seek his power, seek his strength, seek his love as we worship together. Let's honor God this morning.